0: Hey, Mama. I just wanted to jump on here before I let the show begin. Actually, I'm trying to do this fast before my kid wakes up. Okay, two or three things. First, I hope you're sound and healthy at home, enjoying all the extra time we all have with our families. Second, I think this episode might be my favorite. I like them all. I don't know. But I learned so much from Elisa. It was so informative. I mean, I learned things that would have been so beneficial 18 months ago when I had a newborn. And you guys will find out why. Okay, so third thing. We are all trying to figure out this work from home, record from home situation. So you will hear a lot of glitching, a lot of background noise. We're really just trying to connect three countries in this call. Mexico, Puerto Rico, and well, you're a girl here in the Californian desert. So with that said, just be patient with us. Good news is that we're not going anywhere. So with that said, I'll let the show begin. Welcome to Hola Mama podcast. This is Natalie. And this is Christina. And we're just two friends sharing the weirdness and wonder that comes with everyday mamahood hoping to encourage our multicultural mamas as we navigate and raise our little ones between our two worlds, one bilingual conversation at a time. So while you clean up those big messes or fold those tiny little clothes, turn up the volume and join us as we talk all things mamahead. Hola mamas, welcome to episode 22 of the podcast. Christina, I have to say that it feels so good to be back on here. It's been a good three weeks since I've been mm-hmm. on the podcast with you, and I'm so excited about today's
1: episode. <laughs> How do you feel? How are you doing? Oh, my word. Me, too. I'm so excited, and it's so great to hear your voice again and feel like something is, you know, a little bit of normalcy and just like both of us doing this again. I'm so excited about this episode as well. I think it's a topic that all of us have so many questions, and we're so excited intrigued by and nothing better than to ask an expert right so it's gonna be great totally so today christina and i are chatting with elisa
0: gilbertson and Alisa, I'm going to let you introduce and share a little bit about yourself, but um, before you do that, there was a couple of, maybe a week ago, a couple of days ago, we asked you moms to send over all of your questions regarding sleep and sleep training and any issues that you might have with your babies. And I've got to say, I thought I was the only one that struggled with this, but going through everybody's questions, I was like, okay, (laughs) okay. I wasn't the only one that struggled with a baby that did not want to sleep. So I'm super intrigued by this conversation, especially because I was surrounded by so many opinions um, when, you know, little Caleb was a newborn. Because He's the one I struggled with. So, yeah, let's go ahead and just jump right on. What, What do you think, Christina? Let's do it. Okay. So, Eliza. I'm sorry, Elisa, I'm just gonna mess up your name a couple of times. Which I love Eliza too,
1: though, it's a beautiful name. Yes,
0: bear with me here, but why don't you just introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, and what you do.
2: Okay, and yet no problem butchering my name, it happens all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Depending on what country I'm in, um, it's, Alyssa or Elisa, um, either one is perfectly fine. I actually do prefer Elisa. So oh, cool. um, yeah, and so I live in Monterey, Mexico Woo-hoo. with my husband who is from um, Mexico City. And I, I, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't live there. It's, just, yeah. I'm not, <sighs> yeah. So after a little bit there, we moved here. And we have a five-year-old little boy um, who, you know, wasn't a great sleeper. Um, he, he isn't either. And I had been working with families for a long time uh, before he came along. And, you know, it's, it's not as though because I have all these answers I can make my child sleep. I can't even make myself sleep. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, he inherited some of the issues that I have, which are genetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, my mom is um, a night owl. I am as well, but she doesn't need as many hours of sleep. My dad is a morning person. No problem can go to sleep, um, but he needs a lots of hours. And so I inherited those both, both of those traits. I need a lot of sleep and I'm a night owl which doesn't work in our world. And, um, you know, and, and my son is, I can see a lot of the same traits in him as well. And then also he's a boy, boys tend to have more sleep issues than girls. Um, and and so, you know, that's something as well. And, you know, what, what I tell my clients is I just, we negotiate, but there's no magic wand, there's no magic pill, there's no magic anything about it. It's all science. And so that's what I do. I'm, I call myself a sleep educator, and I work in sleep development. Under that umbrella is sleep training. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, that's what I focus on is really, like, helping parents understand their child's development. And as well, I am um, I do hold degrees in psychology and sociology and child development, um, but one of the things that I'm most proud of is the fact that I am a certified postpartum doula. Oh, wow. Uh, and I, yes. And so I, and I also teach doulas. Doulas have to have so many continuing education units. Yeah. So I teach doulas. Um, and I really think that having that, that mindset of, um, okay, what works for your family? Let's make this work for you whether dynamics in your family and then sort of working myself out of a job really is helpful mm-hmm. um, with the work that I do in sleep.
0: That's amazing. It's such an honor to have this, um, to have you here with us talking. And honestly, I feel like this conversation came in 18 months too late because <laughs> my, my son sleeps now through the night, but the first year, I am not going to lie. It was very, very difficult to get him to sleep even two hours straight. So why don't we just jump in on the first question for you? Can you tell us uh, what is sleep training and why is it so important?
2: Okay. So in my point of view, sleep training isn't so important. It's about the education. So going back to to um, not calling myself a sleep trainer, but calling myself a sleep educator because one of the first things that I do is um, sit down with my clients, um, go over their intake form. Well, usually we're on the phone um, because I I have clients all over the world. Um, But we go over their intake form together and and then I will say, okay, let me tell you a little bit about what's going on during this time. And I review with them the five parts of development um, that I have kind of boiled it down to with sleep education. One is sleep development. One is growth spurts, cognitive development, emotional development, and motor development. And all of these types of development can negatively and positively impact sleep. And even when it's a negative impact on sleep, there's nothing wrong. It's healthy development. We would never say, oh, I don't want my child to learn how to walk. It's just frankly, it's too much work. We would never say that. So even when you have a sleep setback because of some type of developmental thing that's going on, that's a good thing. And we should celebrate that and then learn how to negotiate from there. So I would say, you know, sleep, understanding sleep development is very important. And then as well, making sure your child gets the best sleep that he can and the most sleep that he can for him um, So the sleep education is really the fundamental, it's the foundation. And that's, what's really important. And I, if you want me to, I can um, briefly cover these five steps of development.
0: Please. Yes. Go for it.
2: Okay. So there's sleep development, and in, in the womb, your baby sleeps differently. And when they're born, they sleep differently at one day that they're going to at three months, then they're going to at six months and they're going to at uh, one year and so on. And even you and I sleep differently than someone say in their sixties. Um, it's just, it's a constant progression. And of course the most sleep development occurs in the first year and and that's why parents find themselves trying to just grasp at straws to figure out what's going on. And the minute they feel like they have something figured out, they don't again. And that's because the development is happening, happening so quickly. It's not just all the other developments we'll talk about, but sleep development as well. Um, for example, one type of sleep development is that uh, the, the two parts of the brain that govern sleep do not come online and start talking to each other until three months. And so without that connection, you're not going to be able to sleep train your child effectively. Um, But even still, those parts start talking around three months. That doesn't mean that everything's developed. There's so much more to sleep development than one specific thing. And, And it's constantly occurring, especially in the first year. Now, I know we don't have you know, lots of time to go into that, so I'll just leave that there. Um, but certainly, sleep development can temporarily interfere with your child's um, ability to, to sleep well. The example I gave is an example where it would help your child sleep well right away. Um, but there are other ones that can temporarily have a not so great impact on their sleep. The next one is growth spurts. Um, so growth spurts will change a child's sleeping patterns, but only for a couple of days. So in the first stage of the sleep of the uh, growth spurt, your baby will seemingly eat more and maybe wake up more often at night to eat. And that only lasts a day or two, you, typically. And then the next couple of days, you notice that they are sleeping more and not as interested in sleep. I'm sorry, not as interested in eating. Um, now that, that two-step process may be very easily seen with some babies and maybe some babies behave differently. Maybe they'll take quite a few days to bulk up and then you'll just all of a sudden notice a growth spurt where they're just sleeping more than they normally do. And they seem to be getting bigger. The diapers aren't fitting, um, their clothes aren't fitting, something like that. So those are, that's a two-step process. So at first you have being awake more to eat more and then um, sleeping more to grow because babies need sleep to grow. It's very important. Mm -hmm. And then with cognitive development, so there's, um, there's this wonderful book that I absolutely love because so many of my clients now are using it. So I don't really have to review cognitive development Uh, as deeply as I normally do because they're already on top of it so the book and the app is called Wonder Weeks and while um, you know it's it's a guess it's a little bit of a guessing game but Wonder Weeks really helps you to see when your child is going to have what they call a leap what I call a cognitive shift or cognitive development um it's basically where a part of the brain comes online and they can perceive things that they weren't able to perceive before and the reason why we perceive in stages is because our world would be completely overwhelming to them if they could perceive everything at birth Mm -hmm. wow if you if you just if you think about okay if you look at your couch or something very familiar a seat in your office or the couch, you can tell by looking at it what it's going to feel like um, to the touch. You know what to do. You know to sit down on it. And babies don't know any of this. So their cognitive development happens in shifts or leaps so that the world isn't too overwhelming for them. And the exciting thing is, is that they're able to do things that they weren't able to do before because you can't do things you can't perceive to do. And so, unfortunately, this, this causes a cascade of other events, which are amazing, but at the same time can interfere with sleep. So the first one um, is emotional development. With, with a cognitive shift comes emotional development. Um, and then motor development, right? Now they can perceive to do something so they can have their body do it. And you, you see this with infants that all of a sudden, they're not just staring at things, but they're trying to grasp for something. That's a, a new motor skill that they have due to a cognitive shift that they just um, underwent. At first, the reason why this causes an emotional development or an emotional shift is because at first this is very alarming for babies um their whole world is different right it would be like if i uh rearranged your furniture in your house in the middle of the night and you woke up and you came downstairs and you would think oh my goodness this is all my stuff but who came in here and rearranged all of this (laughs) Um, so basically that's what babies are going through. And, and so they, they tend to be a little bit more clean. They'll be uh, more fussy. If you're nursing, they'll want to be at the breast more. And it's a lot of moms at this uh, point in time think that, oh my gosh, I am not producing enough milk. My baby's constantly fussy, constantly at the breast, something is going on. And it's usually not that they're just looking for um, some emotional stability at the breast and it's perfectly normal. But a lot of moms think that there's something wrong with her milk supply and there just isn't uh, the baby's just being fussy because of the wonderful development that's happening, this healthy, natural development that's happening, but it, it does interfere with, um, with how they view the world and the relationships. So unfortunately it can impact sleep. We all have partial awakenings in the middle of the night and babies are more prone to them because of their sleep cycle, which is different than ours. Um, And I don't think we have time exactly to go into that here, but it is different. And so they're more prone to um, more night awakenings than we are. They're just usually partial awakenings. And they're there to make sure that the baby is not too hot, not too cold. Um, If they're hungry, if their diaper needs changing, that they can alert somebody. Um, but when they're in an emotional shift, they can go from a partial awakening to a full awakening and they're feeling really insecure about all of this. So they'll start to cry Mm. out. And, um, so you'll see more of this and we'll, we'll talk about that more, um, in, in another, in another question below. Um, but yeah, so that's basically cognitive and emotional development and then motor development so, the second half of the cognit- cognitive shift, they they start to feel more secure. They can, they can perceive these things now, and instead of it being scary, it's, wow, look what I can do. I can do these things. So, they might not want to nap because they want to show off their skills, and they'll want you to be there with them as they're showing off their new skills, or they might wake up in the middle of the night and want to practice their new skills, or... A baby who, for example, learns to sit up, might sit up in their sleep, wake up, and just be completely freaked out right. and startled. And and also, they don't necessarily know how to get down from a sitting mm-hmm. up state.
1: That's amazing.
2: So, <laughs> you know, it really is when you think about how they're learning and how they're developing and how they're being able to perceive things, but it can interfere with sleep. But it's perfectly natural and and healthy. Um, you know, so we have all those five types of development that can potentially interfere with sleep. Uh, that's normal and healthy. And then of course you have other things like parental influences, which can interfere with sleep. Um, if you always rock your child to sleep at night, they may come to expect that. And then you transfer them down. And then when they have partial awakening in the middle of the night, they will be, they'll um, they'll expect to be rocked down again. So that's not, that doesn't have anything to do with, um, development that is behavioral. And so
1: in a way it gives you more compassion for the baby because instead of being frustrated at him, like, Oh my gosh, why is he not sleeping? He was totally fine yesterday. You're like, Oh, he's going through development. Okay. We'll do this together. You know, like it's not, it's not going to be so bad, you know, it's good. So this is great.
0: I think you're absolutely right, Christina, because I was actually thinking, um, Elisa, while you were talking, going back to the newborn stages of both my babies, the first one, um, I have a little girl, and she actually slept through the night from the moment we brought her home, and it was kind of scary, I would have to set my alarm to check on her every two hours to see if she was even alive, because she just slept through the night, you know, from the gecko. and my little boy was so different um he was waking up every hour every two hours and my mom and my mother-in-law were so concerned about the fact that he wasn't sleeping and um I don't know about you you're in Mexico so you're a little familiar with the Latin culture and they brought up the fact of, bueno, a la mejor algo le está pasando, a lo mejor está estresado. Mm-hmm. And my mom would tell me, este niño tiene ansiedad. You know, <laughs> this, this little baby, he's anxious and stressed out, Natalie. Oh, and, my um, word. Then we even blamed, like, allergies. Maybe he, he has allergies and he can't sleep through the night. And <laughs> so I'm sure a lot of moms are, you know, thinking something is wrong with their baby or Um, even listening to information from their, you know, mother-in-laws or even their own moms. So this is really interesting to me. Now we received some questions from some of the listener mamas, and I just wanted to really quickly go over them and see if you can answer them. And I think the first one is very fitting to where we are in the conversation. A mama asked, how early should we start to sleep train?
2: That's, that's a very good question. And to answer that question, we have to talk about what is sleep okay. training. Um, so there are different ways of quote unquote training a baby to sleep. And, you know, so when, when we're talking about these more um, sensitive uh, parts of their development, those are bad times to sleep train and they can happen throughout the first year. So you just have to know their development. And again, Wonder Weeks is a wonderful tool. You can get the app on your phone and you can see, oh, there's a stormy period coming. And so that is not the right time to do any kind of sleep training at all, even if your child is one year old. Uh, so it has, it greatly has to do with development. I've had, I've had clients that have told me, my uh, my sister-in-law or my mother-in-law or somebody told them this story about we tried cry it out and they and the baby just cried and cried and cried for three straight nights and never went to sleep and yes that can absolutely happen if you sleep train in the wrong time Mm -hmm. period Um, and then also going back to something that i said it depends on what you mean by training because there are no cry methods so if one of your issues is Um, my six-month-old wakes up four times a night to eat, three times a night to eat. Well, there are things we can do, like slow slow reduction of the time at the breast, um, although that's not an exact science because of letdowns or um, ounces in the bottle, milliliters Mm -hmm. in the bottle. And you can do something that's called dream feeds so that you're weaning it out and your baby doesn't even know it because you're feeding your baby in, in sleep. So you can do that at any age that you want to. And if you are trying to wean out too much too soon, the baby will let you know. So it's very much baby guided um, and unfortunately labor intensive for the parents. But if you want a no cry method, you can can use that method um, to consolidate feedings, and, you know, do realize that certainly a three-month-old is going to wake up in the middle of the night. They are not going to sleep a 12-hour stretch without eating. Um, well, most newborns won't anyway. And, and then there's different types of cry it out as well. You have this stay, I, what I call sit and stay calm, um, where you stay with your baby in the room and you leave once they fall asleep. You have the check-in method where you check in every so often it depends sometimes people do okay I'll check in every 10 minutes or I'll check in in five minute increments you know progressively making it longer um and then you just have the method where you kiss the baby put them in the bed and say you know figure it out I'll see you in the morning um don't recommend that yeah, one <laughs> like, no way but again you know it has to do with the baby's mm-hmm. personality um And if you're going to do cry it out, I highly recommend that you do it in a calm period. Otherwise you will be banging your head against a wall. And I highly recommend that you do it in about the five and a half, six month timeframe, um, or any time after that, as long as they're not in a cognitive emotional shift, because again, you're going to be banging your head against the wall. Um, and I I recommend that, uh, you know, unless I see something in the child's behavior, but I recommend that parents stay in the room, being as calm as they can, making sure to send nonverbal signals that everything is okay. We're just doing something different. And it's okay for your child to protest change. I protest change all the time. I'm not a person who likes change. Why would my child be any different? Um, some children are ready for change. Others are not, and you just have to decide what, what you're comfortable with and what you're ready for, because ultimately sleep is really important to the overall well-being of the child. Um, to later on in life, the grades that they get are heavily dependent on how well they sleep, and if, if you don't sleep, you can't retain things that you have just mm. learned, so this skill is really important and it's important that we pass it down to, to our children. Um, so how early can you start? You know, it, it's not, again, it's not a, just a question of a certain amount of months. It's uh, where are they in their development, um, in their sleep development, that sleep training is appropriate and also being at a quieter time in their development so that they can respond appropriately. So
0: what I'm hearing you say, Elisa, is that you really don't recommend sleep training or starting a sleep training program without having the tool that Wonder Weeks provides of telling you exactly where your baby is at and doing it at the right time.
2: Correct. And then also Cry cry It Out is... You know something different than the no cry i'll give you another i'll give you another example um so this is a sleep i guess i would call it a sleep tool not necessarily sleep training but some, some people would call it sleep training one thing that i highly recommend that you do from birth is dancing your baby down um so instead of just uh walking them down or rocking them down and then going for the transfer you know into the bassinet or into the crib that you desensitize them by moving them around in your arms and and swaying back and forth and putting them from shoulder to shoulder, shoulder to cradle position, swaying them away from your body and bringing them back. They don't recognize anything when you go to transfer Uh them down. A baby who isn't down, they know that feeling of being put in the crib and they're immediately alerted to it. And that's why a lot of babies will wake up Uh, right away for the transfer or just a minute later? Okay, so
0: I I feel like you already answered one of the questions that were upcoming. A lot of the moms asked, is it okay to let the baby cry themselves to sleep? Um, Another one asked how they can do that where it's not so dramatic, you know, leaving them in the crib and letting them just cry. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I was told as soon as I had my my first uh, newborn, Um, By a well-intended, you know, family member. And she told me, as soon as you get home from the hospital, put your baby to sleep at night. And even though they're hungry, just let them cry it out because they haven't learned what is day and what is night. And a part of me felt like, that's so mean. Like, the baby's asking for food and attention. But I also thought, well, I'm a new mom. I don't know what is best for her. She has five kids already, so maybe she knows. And I tried it for one night, and never again. No. It was so traumatizing for me and my husband, and I'm pretty sure for our baby. Mm-hmm. But can you just answer that question a little bit more um, def- definitive? You know, is it okay to let them cry themselves to sleep?
2: No, never. no, no, no. I am, I am hyperventilating over here at that okay. advice. So again, let's go back to the education. The two parts of the brain that need to talk to each other, that, that regulate sleep don't even talk to each other. They don't come online until three months wow. of age. Right. I mean, just, just that one piece of information mm-hmm. right there. Um, and, and there's so many more your baby in the first three, four months your baby needs you like they are so Mm -hmm. dependent on you for everything and even a six-month-old the reason why I tell parents to slowly reduce the amount of food after six months of age when they're working on um, consolidating feedings down at night is because you don't want your child to feel Mm -hmm. hunger yeah what you're building is a relationship and you don't want to build an anxious relationship with your child. It will haunt them That's for the so rest good. of their wow. life. Wow, okay, good to know. I feel so bad for those so, five seriously? Oh. Oh,
0: don't worry. They're they're fully grown, they're adults. <laughs> it's true. But, but you know what though? Like all this misinformation in our culture, it's supposed to be like, wisdom passed down from generations to generations and so we don't have that backed up by science obviously it's just experience that our moms have done and their moms and their moms before them so i've always wondered like what is the real answer to letting them cry to sleep um and so you just answered it and that that already helps a lot because i never let them cry to sleep And I always felt like, well, is that being too, what is it called? Like smothering the baby? Because I always had them really close by. To this day, I have my two-year-old and my 18-month-year-old. They don't sleep in bed with us, but they sleep very close to us in the same bedroom. Um, So I've always felt a little guilty about that. So there's a balance, right? There's a balance here between um, not letting them... Cry themselves to sleep, but also I haven't put them in their own space in their own room
2: yeah well let, let okay so let, let's back up for a second. so you know newborns absolutely not, mm-hmm. no crying. I definitely prefer uh, working with with parents right off the bat, right you know pregnancy right when they come home, and then building these little tools and working with them and, and giving them the sleep education the, the sleep knowledge, the developmental knowledge. Um, but that's not always what I have, right? I get clients that come to me at, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight months, nine months, 10 months, old, even older um, toddlers. And sometimes to undo or to get back on track, we do have to use cry it out. Now, the method that I prefer to start with, unless I see something else in the intake form or um, chatting with the client is the sit and stay calm. Because you're there to comfort your child. I, I tell them, you know, talk to them, touch them, sing to them. You, you can absolutely do any of those things. You just can't pick them up. You can hold them in the, in, within the crib. You know, if they're standing up and, and you're holding them, that's perfectly fine. Because children cry to let you, to communicate with you and let you know that they don't like what's going on. But we can't always give in to what they don't mm-hmm. like so as long as they are well fed their diapers changed and they're okay it's all right to allow them the space to be upset just not yeah. at the newborn stage so again around five and a half months um and older as long as they're healthy and you know that they're in a developmental, a developmentally calm period. Timing is key. Now, the other thing that people talk about um, with crying out is cortisol levels. You know, the, that when a child is crying, their cortisol levels are high. And so basically their brain is being bathed in cortisol, which we know is not good for a mm-hmm. developing child. The flip side of that coin is if your child is chronically sleep deprived their cortisol well if anyone is chronically sleep deprived their cortisol levels are high and still their brain is being bathed in cortisol so you kind of have to balance things and yes no cry methods are definitely better Mm -hmm. and i prefer them when they when when it's practical um but you know there's there's two sides to that coin you do have to be careful about how much your child cries babies cry they they do Uh, But you also have to protect their sleep and learning good habits and understanding development is a good place to start. Um, But it's very easy to get into behavioral patterns that do not help your child sleep develop. Okay. Wow. That is so
1: good. I was just also going to throw in that um, when I became a mom, often it was really easy for me to just look at how my mom did things or grandma or aunts and just be like, oh, you know, I'm going to do it the same way. You know, I turned out fine or whatever, but that's not necessarily the best for them. And now that we have research and like the ability to make our decisions, it's so true what you said about doing what's best for your family and finding things out for yourself so this is such good information that is so educating I mean literally every new mom out there before the baby's born should take a course in sleep development sleep education all this is so so important because I didn't know any of this like any of this and I have two and they're four and two and a half you know so that's amazing
0: and also Christina the fact that
1: every child is so different yeah I mean Every yes. child is so different.
0: We were not prepared no. for how the second one was gonna sleep. And I'm gonna be very honest, not being able to sleep fully eight hours in the first couple of months, plus going through, you know, postpartum hormones and maybe even depression. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was times where I called my own mom and said, mom, come and help me get this baby right? because I haven't slept and it's getting in the way of being, you know, motherly and understanding and like you said, compassionate to what's happening to the baby's brain because I was only deep into what was going on in my body. So, yeah, I, I think that we should have some type of classes that prepares for the lack of sleep when we become new moms.
1: This is so, so good. I'm like loving everything you're sharing. And I relate to, um, it's true. Like what you mentioned, So you couldn't even say, this is what worked for me. Do what I did because every baby is different, but I love all these tools that Lisa is giving us so where we can know how to navigate and know what fits best for our baby. And Natalie, same with me. I had the first one, which was crazy with sleep, and I just, like, read all the Pinterest articles I could and tried to figure it out. Um, and then my second one, she would wake up once a night at 3 in the morning every night since she was born. And I was like, oh, my gosh, she's magical and, like, unicorns and rambles over here. And she was just, like, in a bassinet next to me. And But, yeah, I've always – um. You know, never was able to just like hear them um, cry for long or whatever. So just barely getting. Doesn't
0: that? Yeah. Just confirm what you said, Elisa, that girls sleep better than boys for sure. because I feel like yes. you just confirmed that both our girls slept a whole lot better mm-hmm. and boys were just like a shock to it's us. It's true. Um, I didn't
1: yeah. This, know that. Is-
2: so yes. two two yeah. things about that, yes. if I could. Um, one of the things that I, I find listening around in this community, there is a kind of a social stigma about doing things a certain way. And I feel like the tides are changing a little bit here. I noticed that people are more reaching out to parent coaches, postpartum doulas. Um, I hear are becoming more popular. When I moved here, I was the only certified postpartum oh, doula in sure. all of Mexico. Yeah. And, and, it's, it's super important for you to be the gatekeeper of your family, and you don't have to be rude about it. When somebody tells you a piece of information, you can go, huh, that's interesting. I'll think about that. And then you can choose to toss that piece of information away because you know what? Mm-hmm. This isn't their child. They don't know what you're going through, and it really isn't any of their business. And I know that people are, are well-meaning, and I yeah. even catch myself doing it, Um but you are the gatekeeper and you don't owe anyone yes. an explanation. Wow. You know,
1: I so love that. that is
2: so true.
0: And with that, Elisa, we're going to close this first part of our sleep training episodes. And we're going to jump right to the second part in just a few seconds.
1: Thank you for listening. Subscribe to our podcast and find out more about us on Instagram.